if you are turning with me in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn. If you've got a a baby to take to the nursery or a kid for kids class, you can you can go ahead and take them out. If you are turning with me, you can turn to Philippians two. Philippians two verse fourteen. you don't have a Bible, no problem. I should have it up on the screen behind me. So we're starting in Philippians 2, verse 14. And I want to talk to you today about catching your breath. Think about like when you're running and you're out of breath. Or for some of you that don't run, think about what it would be like if you did run. I'm back to that stage I really don't like running I don't consider myself a runner it's not very fun you do it for a purpose (laughs) maybe to get in shape for a season but you know that feeling when you're out of breath and you just can't catch your breath or like if you're in a pool or maybe in the ocean and a wave takes you out and you're underwater for too long and you can't you're trying to find the surface and get up (laughs) everything else doesn't really matter at that moment Like when you're trying to catch your breath, you're not thinking about if your power bill's due next Friday, and you're not thinking about if you fed the dog yesterday, or like any problems or any other things that you have on your mind or going on in your life, they all kind of fade because you need breath. You need fresh breath of air. You need to breathe. So we're talking about breathing, breathing in fresh air. And you know, if you're breathing in toxic air or you're breathing in air like where they've done some chemical warfare, that's not a good thing. You're sucking it in and breathing it in. So we want to breathe fresh air. And I'm talking about the natural, but in the spirit. If we're not breathing fresh air, then our souls aren't healthy. We can be breathing in toxic air or our souls can just be suffocating not breathing if they're not getting that fresh breath, wind, air. If we're not breathing that in, then we're not healthy. Fruit can't grow in a toxic environment. You know, if you can breathe, you can win. A weaker man can win a fight. Trust me, if he can breathe better, he can just move around a little bit. As long as you can breathe, you can win. Not just a fight. You can win a race. If you can breathe, you can win a 5K. Might be somebody that can outrun you. But if you can outbreathe them, that's better. What about in the spirit? We all want to be powerful, right? We all want to be world changers and powerhouses in the kingdom of God and spiritual powerhouses, whatever it is that God's called us to. That may be to write a book or to sing a song or to play an instrument or to whatever it is that God's called us to, but we all want to be powerful in whatever that is. You won't win. You won't succeed. You won't be powerful if you can't breathe. If your soul's not breathing in that fresh air, the the fresh breath. Have you ever felt like your soul was suffocating? It just felt like there's got to be more. What else is there? What am I missing? Why am I not powerful? Why am I? Just It just feels like I need to catch my breath spiritually. We've probably all been there at some point or another, some area or another. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you just came out of that space. Maybe you're about to head into that space. But I believe we can get to a place and we're going to look at somebody in the Bible that kind of figured it out. Because that's not a place where you need to live or you need to be. It's a place of suffocation or claustrophobic. Trying to always catch your breath, you're not going to be effective. You're not going to make a huge difference. Now different things make you breathe different. Like Malachi seems to breathe different when he sees Danielle. No. Different things in life will make you breathe differently. 
You know how when you get scared, sometimes you you suck in that that breath. Oh, yeah, that reminds me. Uh, when I came up here Thursday morning, uh, Jesse Jesse got hurt. Well, now I'm getting off on another rabbit trail. Jesse got hurt Wednesday night pretty bad, so thanks to y'all that that knew about that and that prayed for her. We ended up at the emergency room till about 1 a.m. She got some nice stitches and stuff, but that made her breathe different too. As she was breathing through the pain and reminding herself to just kind of breathe through it, and she was hurting pretty bad. Um, So that being said, she was in a lot of pain Thursday morning, and so I got up to do her normal routine, which is make the boys lunches, and uh, I made their lunches for a couple days, and take Scott to school and stuff that she usually does before she goes to work, she wasn't able to do, Um, and that was interesting, they got great lunches this week, and uh, she usually puts like a nice little ice pack in there for them to keep their, their yogurt and their drink cold. Well, I was informed by Sky that you're not supposed to put the ice pack on top of the chips because I crushed all his chips. And Titus didn't even get an ice pack. He got two uh, things for when your your fingers messed up, their little finger packs. I had to put those around his drink. So <laughs> anyways, back to the thing about breathing. All right. It, it's still dark outside when I get up. <laughs> to take Sky to school, and I come by, and I'm like, man, I gotta, I'm gonna stop by the church real quick, grab me a cup of coffee, I got the Keurig in my office, it can pump out a cup real quick, so I run in here, we were at the emergency room late, I'm like, I need to go by and get me a cup of coffee, I come by the church, it's dark in here, there's nobody here, we're talking, I don't know, whatever time it was, 6.30, 7, whenever, I come by, I come in my office, I grab my keys to unlock the coffee bar, because I'm gonna get a little bit of creamer in my coffee cup, I go over, and I'm messing with the key, trying to see which one it is. I didn't turn on the lights in the foyer or anything. It's just dark. I was just going to grab myself a cup of coffee. And you know that feeling that you feel when you feel like somebody's staring at you? Somebody's like in your space? I started feeling that. And I was like, nah, I get that. And then I thought I felt something touch the back of my leg. It's dark in the foyer. You know, this church is kind of creepy when you're in here by yourself anyways. And it's dark. I got the keys in my hand and I slowly turn around. Oh, there was this dog inside the church with me. A German shepherd looking dog, all white, about that tall. And its nose was almost touching my calf. Silent, just standing there. My breathing changed. <laughs> that dog about got a little, a little drop on elbow on him there. I had to train my fight or flight. You know, you can change that. If you're automatically a flight kind of person, you could change that to fight. Um, I found that out in boxing because if y'all remember the first year when I, when I boxed Brian... And started getting hit in the head like never before. I turned my back on him twice. And lost a bunch of points by turning my back on him. Well, then we spent a year training that out of me. And I never turned my back. I never even thought about turning my back on Reese. So you can change that, by the way, that fight or flight. So I was about to drop on that dog. And it was just standing there. I've tried to like back away against the coffee bar door. Like, I don't know if this thing's mean. Is it nice? Is it wasn't wagging its tail? Nothing. It was just standing there. I'm like, ease around. Hey, hey, puppy. Hey, boy. I go around and realize it's a female who obviously has a lot of puppies somewhere. Then I'm thinking, great. How to get in the church? I went and checked. The back doors were all closed. The only thing, it must have got in here Wednesday night when we were here and nobody saw it. Nobody saw a big white dog Wednesday night, or y'all thought that'd be funny to lock it in here, or I don't know. Couldn't figure out how it got in here. Then I'm thinking, did it have its puppies in here? They come in here looking for somewhere, and now it's got them under the walls, or, and I couldn't hardly get it to go outside, and then when it did, it just went off down through the woods. And I haven't, I, I don't know. I don't know whose dog it was. Um, anyways, it changed my breathing. Because I got scared. 
change the way I breathe. You have to stay calm. Breathe through it. Don't panic. I started thinking about different things that change our breathing. I thought about when Jesse got hurt this week. She had to not panic, but breathe through it. Then as I thought about the fight, I thought about the advice that that Dom gave me when I came to the corner. What he kept saying to me, breathe, breathe, calm down. And I realized that Dom said to me in the fight the same thing that the doctor said to Jesse when she was having our children. Stay calm, breathe, do what you've been trained to do. You must learn to breathe through the pain in life for the joy that is set before you. Like Jesus, he went through a lot of pain. But he could breathe. If you're going through some pain in your life, breathe. If you're birthing new life, breathe if you're trying to get a gold medal breathe if you want to be light to the people in your workplace take a deep breath learn how to breathe if you want to have a good marriage breathe if you want to raise some good kids you got to breathe Look at Philippians 2, 14 and 16. Look what Paul said. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. Do everything readily and cheerfully. Do every... Oh, I'm going to change that. Do the things that are fun readily and cheerfully. Right? No. He said do everything readily and cheerfully. Everything. No bickering. You hear this, boys? Everything. No bickering. Hey, not Malachi. Titus and Sky, you'll hear this. No second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted and breathe. Wait a minute. Let me reread that. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air. You know that's what Christians should be. A breath of fresh air. On your job. And when you stand in that big long line at McDonald's and finally get up there and find out that their ice cream machine's broken. And you have grace. Because you already knew that was going to happen anyways. We're supposed to be a breath of fresh air. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. We got these covert ops, undercover Christians. I'm in the secret service. When somebody finds out that you're a Christian, they shouldn't be shocked. They shouldn't be, what, are you serious? You go to church? Wow. Like, that's not the reaction you're looking for. You're doing something wrong if somebody finds out you're a Christian and that's their reaction. They're surprised. Bo, Bo brought that up in our talking with the worship team this morning about how it's weird, like on the job, how certain people will come up to you and ask you for advice or, hey, pray for me or whatever. And like, wait, how did you know I was a Christian? If you're shining your light properly, people should be able to tell. They should see the example. You should be a breath of fresh air in the workplace or in the line at Six Flags or wherever you are. Carry the light-giving message into the night. 
if the only place you shine your light is in here with all the other lights, that's great, but we're supposed to carry it into the night. We're supposed to carry it into the darkness. The light does a whole lot more good in the darkness than it does with a bunch of other lights. Have good cause to be... Wait a minute, I think I skipped a part. Into the night. So I'll have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all of this work for nothing. And he goes on to say, even if I get killed, I'll rejoice. Doesn't matter. Even, even if they kill me, it's okay. Paul had a pretty good attitude. And the crazy thing is, I know we've talked about it before, so I won't stay long on it, but um, this letter to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, this is known as one of the prison epistles, which means Paul wrote this one while he was in prison. So, like, think about what Paul was just writing, do everything readily and cheerfully, no bickering, no complaining. And He's writing all that from prison. And it wasn't even like a great, cool prison with a workout room and Wi-Fi and three meals a day. This was the Mamertine prison. This was the worst prison there was. It's the worst prison you can imagine. And Paul was put in solitary confinement because he kept converting all the prisoners and the guards to Christianity, which is what he was locked up for. So they're like, we got to get rid of this guy. So they put him in solitary confinement. In the Mamertine prison, solitary confinement was a hole. A hole in the floor. And they tied a rope around the prisoner and they lowered him down in the hole until he went to the depths of the prison, which is also the overflow for the city sewage. So the Romans thought that this would be a great punishment was to put the solitary confinement with the sewage running through it. So if it flooded or if uh, there was a lot of sewage running down, then the reason he was tied to the rope is so that a guard stayed at all times holding the other end of the rope. And when the septic sewage got too deep, they could pick him up so he didn't drown in other people's waste without getting too graphic. I complain about my situation sometimes, but I don't think I've been in that bad of a situation, at least in a while. Ever. <laughs> oh, and I didn't mention that they did beat him before they threw him down there too, so he had open wounds in all of that too. So just throwing that out there. Pretty rough situation. Your job probably seems better now. You're welcome. Let's close. Your marriage, your whatever, probably doesn't seem that bad. And then to look at the things that Paul wrote. Now, with that in mind, with context, go read the book of Philippians and know that he was sitting literally in other people's waste while he wrote these things. What an attitude. That's somebody that's figured out how to breathe fresh air. That's somebody that's figured out how to be a light. No matter where they are, no matter what they're in, no matter what the circumstances say, Paul knew how to breathe. That's why he was so effective at converting people. They had to change the guard every hour because Paul would convert them to Christianity on the other end of the rope. Hey man, you up there? I'm not supposed to be talking to you. Like, that's a good light. Man, I want to be that effective. Learn how to breathe, no matter what your circumstances say. Learn how to have joy and peace and hope and love and the fruit of the Spirit flowing through you, no matter what the environment tries to produce. Look what he said. Turn the page. Um, Stay in Philippians, still in the prison. Philippians 4. Actually, I'm going to read you this one out of the King James. Philippians 4. Um, verse 11, Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am 
therewith to be content. That being translated is a state of peaceful happiness. That word that was translated content. A state of peaceful happiness. NIV says, I found the secret to being content. Paul's like, guys, I found the secret to being content. I I found the secret to living in a state of peaceful happiness. (sighs) I'm breathing fresh air. I found the filter. I found the secret. Okay, spoiler alert. It's the Holy Spirit. All right, that's the fresh air. That's the breath. That's the wind. And if we have the Holy Spirit inside of us working and moving, that's the fresh breath. That's the air. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we can't breathe fresh air. It's toxic. Um, Paul thought this was so important that you had the Holy Spirit, that you had the fresh breath of air flowing through you. There was this one time in, uh, I didn't give it to him to turn to, but it's in Acts um, 19. And I'm just going to, I'll read you the two verses. It's just two verses. But uh, Paul thought it was so important for you to have the Holy Spirit working in you, that he was traveling around doing his ministry in Acts. And it says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So Paul's traveling around and he finds these disciples. And look, the first thing he said to them, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Hey, what's up, guys? Oh, y'all believe in the Messiah? You believe in Jesus? That was the first thing he found out. Yeah, we do. We're disciples. Okay. The very next thing he asked him was, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Never heard of her. What? Paul was like, You've never... Y'all ain't never even heard of the Holy Ghost? You know, and then you can read it on. Paul goes on to be like, uh, well, who were you baptized under? And they were like, we were baptized John the Baptist baptism. And he said, well, that's great for the forgiveness of your sins, but there's more. Y'all need the power. You need, you need the fresh breath. You, yeah, that's great. You're going to heaven because John preached repentance. And, but there's more. There's another step. There's more power. You're not breathing fresh breath, fresh air. Paul's like, what? It was like he couldn't believe it. If you go read it in different translations and stuff, and these guys were just like, nope, never heard of it. Paul's like, what? You ever heard something that you didn't really understand? Kind of got surprised by it? Like Old Town Road? You ever heard that? (laughs) Ride my horse to the Old Town Road. Oh, y'all know that song's like a piece of candy. It's pretty sweet if you take off the wrapper. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, what? Let's go back to Philippians. Probably need to read some more scripture. Yeah. Philippians, right here. Verse 11, so Paul said, here it is. We just read verse 11. Paul said, I found the secret. I found the secret sauce, the secret to living in a state of peaceful happiness. Okay, Paul, what is it? Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me through Christ. Like Christ is your filter. So even if the bad things are coming to me, if I let them go through the filter of Christ, I can still breathe fresh air. Even if I'm getting hit with bad stuff, it's like a gas mask. 
I don't care what gets thrown at me. If I'm wearing a good gas mask, I don't care what kind of little gas bombs you're throwing out at me. I can walk right through it. I can still breathe. Paul's saying, if you have the Holy Spirit living and moving in you, then circumstances don't steal your joy. You can still breathe and you can keep on following Jesus and walk right through it. You're going to go through some valleys. You're going to go through some hard times. You're going to go through some hurt and pain. But if you let those hard things and those hard times go through Christ like a filter, then it doesn't matter if you're hungry or full. You'd rather be full. I'd rather be full. But you can be hungry. And it's okay. Problem is, we end up in the Mamertine prison and we give up. We quit. We don't understand. Why am I here? Why? I don't deserve this. I, don't, I shouldn't have been here. I was doing the right thing. I, I, we start blaming. Remember, we talked about blame a couple weeks ago. We want to start find somebody we can blame. We got that from Adam and Eve. We've been doing it ever since. Can't walk through something if you're busy pointing fingers. We give up. We live there in all the mess, the manure, in the marriage or the relationship or the job or life. And we just stop trying we don't walk through it we just say well this is it and we live there in the prison in the mess and that's where we stay you know the children of Israel when God called them out of slavery called them out of Egypt sent Moses to set them free and he brought them out you know how long it would take for them to walk from Egypt to the promised land They could have made it in roughly 11 days. And they spent 40 years going around in circles. Round and around and around and around in circles. I don't want to spend my life trying to figure it out. Feeling suffocated, feeling like I'm in a desert, feeling like there's not much fruit. Relying on God to just help me barely get through to the next day. Hope I can make it. There's more. I don't want to let fear stop me. I don't want to live my life not breathing, suffocating. In relationships where I feel choked. Jesus told the disciples to wait. Hold up. Remember in Acts, after the cross, when Jesus came back and the disciples were all pumped and Jesus was going to give them their, the great commission and tell them to go out and spread the gospel to the whole entire world. And Jesus said, but wait, don't go yet. You wait until you get the power. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Y'all gather together, be one, and wait till I give you the power. So he had already died on the cross. He already paid for their sin. He already told them their call. So they had a call. Their sins were paid for. They were saved. They were already had their ticket stamped. They were headed straight to heaven. And Jesus said, not enough. The cross isn't enough to do what I'm calling you to do. You're going to need more power. You're going to have to have the Holy Spirit to be powerful, to do what I'm calling you to do. The the cross isn't enough. Wait. There's something else you need. You need my power. The Holy Spirit is the secret sauce. It can take a bunch of regular ingredients and make something great. No, uh, I usually I have lunch with Steve every few weeks or once a month or whenever it, whenever it works out. Now our 
only spot we ever meet is Highland. I'm convinced that he doesn't even really want to meet with me as much as he wants to eat Highland now. He actually doesn't even call it the Highland. He calls it Lady Jane. Will you meet me at Lady Jane at 1230? I'm like, well, that's not even the name of it. Sure, I mean, does it matter if I come or are you just wanting to eat? <laughs> he loves it. But he said, I don't know how they make their the sandwiches taste so good because it's just regular stuff. There's ham in there and there's and you can sit there and name off the ingredients. They say it must be the secret sauce. Yeah, they got the special sauces and the secret sauce and something about mixing those together. The Holy Spirit is the secret sauce. And you've got the ability and the strength and God gave you talents and giftings and stuff to be powerful, to be a world changer, to to be a force in the kingdom. But I'm telling you, you need the secret sauce or it's just going to be another peanut butter sandwich. But you get to choose. Because God's a gentleman. He won't force it on you. So you get to choose. Ham and cheese sandwich or a Lady Jane. Secret sauce. Peter in uh, Acts chapter 2, um, after the Holy Spirit came on them, Jesus told them to wait. So they went and waited. Not all of them went and waited, but 120 out of 500 actually listened to him and went and waited. And it tells us a sound, uh, a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind or a breath came in. And they all started talking in other languages and and. They were speaking in all the languages of the people that were there. And they started preaching. All of them in different languages. And the people that were there, rather than saying, Wow, this is an awesome miracle. It must be from God. And believing, which is what you would think should happen. They were like, they must be drunk. Paul was like, no. No. They're not drunk. They're filled with the Spirit. And Paul brought a powerful, excuse me, I'm saying Paul, Peter. Peter was like, no, they're not drunk. It's the Holy Spirit. And then Peter brought this powerful message. And thousands of people were saved and began to believe in Jesus. And that was like the start of the church as we know it. The start of the Jesus movement. But they needed the Holy Spirit to pull that off. We all know Peter. He denied Jesus. He was a bit, and, and he was the main one. Okay, John 20. John 20. So, so last week was Easter, and we talked about Jesus and the cross and the disciples and the sacrifice that was made for us. And Things didn't turn out like the disciples thought. They imagined that Jesus was their Messiah, their Savior, and he was, but it wasn't in any way that they imagined. Because to us as humans, we think that, that the only way to fight a war is with more war. We fight violence with violence, hate with hate. And, and Jesus came to like not overthrow Rome or not overturn the oppression that was on his people and it didn't look like they thought it was going to look Jesus came to show them a different way, a peace he said my peace I give to you, now I want to give you the ability to breathe no matter what's going on around you it's just not about fighting other people it's not about fighting the Romans or the Gentiles or the, because and now we know that we all got our foot in the door too and it's it's not about fighting other people. So, but since things didn't turn out like they thought they would, um, they hid. They got really scared after all this stuff happened to Jesus, and they probably should have. That's why Peter didn't even want to admit that he knew him. He was scared. That's why he denied Jesus. And so... Look at this. Let's read uh, John 20, 19. Jesus had come back from the cross, but they were scared. 
Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. You know, Sunday is the first day of the week. We like to think Monday is, but being the first day of the week. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So they were all hiding in this room, had the doors shut because they were afraid. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. So the doors were shut and Jesus comes through the wall and he said, Peace. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. He had to keep telling them, have peace. Calm down. Breathe. It's okay. Look, what I said was going to happen, happened. Calm down, guys. Look. Have some peace. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. I'm about to send you out. Just like my Father sent me, now I'm about to send you guys. Okay? Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Just like my father sent me, I'm about to send you. You ready? They're like, yeah, we're ready. (sighs) Awkward. I mean, I don't like people breathing on me. When you get up close where I can smell your breath and I don't, I don't want to be breathing in what you're breathing out. And I like if you notice me stepping back while we're talking, just stop inching forward. Just stay there. I don't like breathing in other people's breath. Just breathe. <sighs> he breathed on them. And we've talked about it before, but remember when, when God got down on his knees and he created Adam. In the garden, and God put his lips to Adam's lips, and he breathed the breath, that creative breath, the spirit into Adam. So God's exhale was our first inhale. Life. It was life. Adam messed that up. And, and what we don't talk about a lot is because, remember, if you... There's two trees in the garden, and if you sin and you disobey God and you choose sin, you choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you choose death. You will surely die is what God told them. And the snake was like, you won't surely die. Eat it. You won't die. And they ate it, and they didn't die. Right? They lived for another thousand years, but they died spiritually. They lost the ability to breathe. Their soul died. Sin is death. Jesus came to bring us from death to life. Our soul was dead. We couldn't breathe. We were suffocated the day that we chose sin. We lost it. So after the cross, when Jesus paid the price for everybody, and Jesus came back, and that was just a natural sign of him giving back what we forfeited in the garden. When he said, "Ah, it's back. Now you have the ability to walk in it. Take a deep breath because you can breathe again. That's life. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. I'm bringing the life back to you. The breath. Breathe it in. Jesus fixed it. So that we can create. As believers, we can breathe fresh air in any situation because it or He is in us. His exhale was our first breath. It was life. So the disciples were so scared that they locked themselves into the room and they were hiding because they thought the Jews were going to kill them too. The problem is when you try to lock stuff out because of fear, you end up locking yourself in. 
And you can try to lock everything out because you're afraid and you can lock it out of your life. And maybe you got hurt really bad in a relationship, so you're going to lock out love and never allow it back in. But the problem is the more things you lock out, you don't realize you're locking yourself in. That's what fear does. It traps you. If they were trapped in that room, they would have never been effective. They would have never done what they were called to do. They would have never spread the gospel. We wouldn't be standing here reading the Bible or preaching the word if they let fear keep them in the prison that they made in their mind. Fear will lock you up. Jesus can walk through walls, but he won't walk into closed souls. He walked right in that room, walked right upon them in their prison of fear. But he's a gentleman. He won't force himself on you. Why? Because that's not love. And love is who God is, and love doesn't force itself on others. We see that in Corinthians. He paid the price, and he fought the war for your heart. But he wants you to choose relationship with him. He'll knock. He'll call, he'll whisper, he'll woo you. I've called on God and he won't help. I've cried out to God, God, fix this mess. And he won't. To fix the mess, God says, I need to fix you. No, God. I don't want you to fix me. I just want you to fix all the things that I break. That sounds ridiculous, but that's our attitude. God, I don't want you to fix me. I just want you to fix my circumstances. God, I just want you to fix all the people that I hurt. I just want you to fix the life that I broke. I want you to give me a new, fresh life. God, I want you to fix everything out here. But the reality is that if God gave you this new, fresh life and left you the same, then you would wreck that life too. And you would turn it into your old life and you'd do it again and again and again. Because what God wants to do is to heal you. He he wants to fix you so that you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're breathing fresh breath and you're coming from a healed, whole, good place. And then your life and your circumstances and it. It'll change. But God wants to fix you. God fix my marriage. God fix this relationship. God fix my job. God fix my circumstances. And God wants to fix you. If he gave you a new life, you'd just turn it back into your old one. And you'd do it over and over, and then you'd be mad at God. We want to think that Jesus came to save us from everything out here, just like the disciples did. They thought Jesus came to kill the Romans, that Jesus came to save them from oppression, that Jesus came to right all the wrongs, that Jesus came to save them from everything out here. Just like we think sometimes. But Jesus came to free you from you. We've gotten comfortable in the prisons that we've created. Some of y'all are runners, hoppers, bouncers, whatever you want to call it. Not that kind of bouncer. Like when things get hard, you run. In relationships and in churches and on jobs and, and you run. You get out. When things get hard, you run, you quit, you give up. Some of y'all ran here from another church or somewhere else or 
And if you don't find healing, it's just a matter of time before you run again. You know how you know if you're a runner? It's everyone else's fault. It was them, and they did this, and they did that, and it was always it's somebody else. Your job is horrible, so you run. And the next one is too. And then you run, and the next one is too. And your church is bad, and there's so much trouble, and you run, and the next one is too, and the next one is too. And, and it becomes this pattern of running from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from church to church. From You just become this runner that keeps running, and the one common denominator is you. The problem is God's trying to fix you. And you're trying to run from you. But where you run into the big problem is you keep taking you everywhere you go. And that's causing the problems. You need his breath, the spirit, the wind. So the Holy Spirit is breath. It's the breath of life for your soul. Um, the word spirit or Holy Spirit is used over 800 times in the Bible, in the New and the Old Testament, over 800. And so the Hebrew was, um, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Ruach. Something like that. And it means, the meaning of it is breath, wind, blast of fresh air. The spirit. Now, the New Testament was written in Greek. And so the translation of the Greek word for spirit is pneuma. Um... And it means a strong wind, breath of air, or breath. I thought it was pretty cool to look through because they both mean the breath. And thinking about God breathing that breath into Adam, there's that word. And when you look at uh, anywhere through the Bible, it means that's interchangeable. Breath and spirit. It's God's breath. Is that is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Um, so, like, look at John 6, 63. And try this, because it's pretty cool, and I can't turn to 20 scriptures, but I encourage you this week, like, look through your Bible, and wherever you see the word Spirit, that's the translation of the word breath. So, try changing the word. Look at... Uh, John six sixty three. It is the spirit. We're going to change it to breath. It is the breath that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. And the words that I speak unto you, they are breath and they are life. That's Jesus talking. These words, they're, they're breath. They're their life. Remember in uh, John 14? Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's telling them, look guys, you're going to be able to do it. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. And whatsoever I have said unto you, the source, the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you and He will remind you. You, you can't remember something you never knew. You got to put it in there. 
The Holy Spirit's job is to remind you of the words that God spoke. But if you don't have God's word in, or you've never heard him speak, or you've never had somebody say, hey, God said this, or you've never read your Bible and gotten his word in, Holy Spirit's not got much to work with. I don't care how good of a chef you are, if I throw you in the kitchen and you've only got ketchup and ramen noodles, it's probably not going to be that good of a meal. Holy Spirit's good at his job, but you've got to give him something to work with. Give him some ingredients in there. He's inside some of us in our souls, like kicking around, like, man, you didn't give me much to work with here. When you run into a problem and he's looking like, ah, what can I get? What can they? Give him a little something. Give him something to work with. I'm going to close. I'm going to close by reading you the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. That's what breathing in the fresh air, the fresh breath, that's what the Holy Spirit will do is He restores your soul. I mean, that's when Jesus breathed on them, that's what He was doing was restoring their soul so that whatever's happening out here, you can find rest and peace. That's what Jesus was talking about. Why? When He keeps talking about the Holy Spirit, He's talking about my peace. I give you peace be unto you. Here's the Holy Spirit. Peace be unto you. Because that's what the Holy Spirit will do is He'll be your comforter. He will give you rest. He will restore your soul. Help you catch your breath. Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden and burdened and you just wore out, you're tired, come to me and I'll give you rest. Message Bible says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For Thou art with me. Do you notice the shift? I've never noticed it till this week when I was reading this. The first part, those first three verses... He maketh me lie down. He leadeth beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. And then, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, uh uh-oh, hit something hard, bad times happen, I will fear no evil for thou or you. He was talking about God. And now right here in the middle of this psalm, he switched and he's talking to God. He's awesome. He's powerful. He's mighty. Whoa, valley of the shadow of death. You're with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. He's not talking to us about God anymore. Now he switches and he's talking to God. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, my cup's running over. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm at home. Look, real quick, uh, let me see Malachi and Hunter and Titus come here for a second. Okay, um, Malachi, you come here. Okay, look, Malachi's gonna be Jesus, right? Looks like he looks like Jesus. Okay, he, he gets to be Jesus, and Hunter here is goodness. And Titus is mercy. Okay? So,
So, just to give you a visual, as Jesus is walking, and I'm following him, like David. I'm, I'm following God. I'm following Jesus. This is how I'm living this life. And wherever he goes, I go. And sometimes we go up on mountaintops. And I'm like, yeah, woo, yeah. And then Jesus goes through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm, I don't want to go in there, but... But I'm following him, so I need to stay close because his rod and staff comfort me, and he leads me. So hey, I can still breathe, even though we went through something bad. Like, I, oh, this is okay. And the more we obey and follow him, then when, but sometimes it's like, wait, but Jesus is leaving me. Oh, no, I got to speed up. But the cool thing is that David was letting us know is if we're following Jesus and we're breathing that fresh breath and then at all times, goodness and mercy, they're right behind me. And as long as I'm in alignment with him and I'm following him, goodness and mercy are chasing after me. But goodness and mercy aren't chasing after me if <laughs> you can't catch your breath. <laughs> goodness and mercy... They're not chasing you if you're not moving. They don't follow you. Okay, that's good. You guys can sit down. I'm going to be able to finish this. <laughs> if you're standing still, there's no need for goodness and mercy to follow you. But if I'm following Jesus, it doesn't matter where he leads me. Because I trust him. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads me even through the valley of the shadow of death. It's okay because I can turn around and there's goodness. Even if I fall, goodness and mercy are there to catch me. And goodness says, doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter abuse, pain, circumstances, whatever. That God can turn it all for good. It's the goodness of God. He reminds us like we were reminded at the end of worship today how good our God is, how big He is, how He can turn it all around. And then mercy's right beside Him. Saying, yeah, you've messed up before. Yeah, you chose sin before. Yeah, you fell down before. But it's okay because that's what mercy is. You don't have to get the punishment that you deserve. Somebody took it for you. Keep following. Keep breathing. Keep running. How do you run? You know the lion and the gazelle? They both wake up every morning and run. They're both running pretty close to the same speed. And one of them's a king and one of them's prey. They're doing the same thing. They're both running. Well, I'm doing the same thing he's doing. Why do things seem to be working out for him? I get up and go to work. He gets up and goes to work. The lion and the gazelle get up and do the same thing too. But one of them is driven by fear. And one is driven by hunger. The Bible says, He that hungers and thirsts after righteousness, he'll be filled. What are you hungry for? Are you, ch are you chasing after Jesus? You chasing after the call and after his example and you're hungry for your purpose? Are you running out of fear? Are you being hunted? Fear equals death. The gazelle eventually dies. You choose death when you choose fear. You choose to be locked in that room. Hunger usually results in getting fed, growing stronger. So breathe. Take a deep breath. Wherever you are in life, breathe through it. You've been given the grace. You've been given the power. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for sending yourself in the form of the Holy Spirit to be our power and to be our strength. God, we receive you. 
God, we want all that you have for us. All of it. We wait for you. We wait for your fire. God, I ask for a new passion. Fall on your people. We breathe in. And we create. Dad, we know that we were created in your image. We're going to start to create more than we consume. Thank you for the breath of life. God, we love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.